Hello, all. Welcome to the Hope Without Sight podcast with your hosts, Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans. The topic of this podcast will consist of many stories of people from various backgrounds and experiences who have had many challenges and have been able to successfully overcome them and rise to the top. So sit back and relax as we give you the best of these diverse stories. Because if you are feeling down and out, like you cannot make it in the world, then this podcast is the right one for you. Because if my guests can make it, so can you. Happy listening. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hope Without Sight. This is episode seven with your hosts, Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans. Hello, Tyler. On this episode, we have Dan Parker, who is a blind race car driver who used to be sighted and used to drive race cars. And due to a terrible accident uh, that led him to go blind, but of course, this did not stop him to continue to pursue his dreams. Even though after he went blind, he adjusted and still continued to race. And 10 years later, after the accident, exactly, he achieved a Guinness World Record of driving an average speed of 211 miles an hour blind. Please welcome Dan Parker. Dan, how are you doing this morning? Thanks for being on, on the show. I'm doing great. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So I want to start off. Um, obviously, you're an icon. You've received uh, so much media attention because of your incredible achievements. So I want you to start off. So yeah, you're a race car driver. Uh, you've been driving race cars throughout your life. And of course, uh, one accident changed your life forever, which, you know, in the end, so much good came out of it because today, you know, despite the changes, you're still living your life the way you should. You're you're still driving today. How does it feel? How has it felt you being on this journey and getting to where you are today? It's been amazing. You know, it's been like anything, you know, big task is full of highs and lows. But, you know, I grew up in a racing family. I was eight years old the first time I raced my mini bike at the local drag strip. And out of high school, I started bracket racing on a regular basis, then ended up driving what's called pro modified cars. So they're the fastest cars on the planet that still have a working door, you know, not compared to like a the funny cars or the dragsters. So a pro modified car is zero to 75 in one second, zero to uh, what I had was 190 and four seconds and about 2,500 horsepower, you know, and March 31st, 2012 was a day that like any other day we were testing new motor combination on the first full pass, the car made a hard right turn into the wall and, uh, tore part of the wall down with the tumbling through the grass and it broke apart. The motor ended up 
over a hundred feet away from where the car stopped. And, uh, you know, they tried to life flight me out. They couldn't, a storm was in between the University of Alabama hospital and the wreck. And, um, put me in ambulance for the 45 minute ride and uh, admitted me. And I had uh, broke ribs, collapsed lung. My whole right arm was completely destroyed. Um, you know, so they induced me into a coma to try to stabilize me. And uh, it took several weeks to add some infections and had to reconstruct the right elbow. Long story short, I woke up, on, they brought me out of the coma on the 14th day to my new world of total darkness. I'm 100% blacked out blind from the traumatic brain injury. Uh, my brain swallowed, compressed my optic nerve and killed it. And so, uh, you know, I learned the next day that I was blind for life, you know? So uh, it's been a journey. Uh, like I said, anything great has eyes and lows, whether you're trying to build a house or, or build a race car, you know? And uh, so I built my motorcycle in um, 13, I became the first blind man to race Bonneville. 14, I returned and set my FIM class record with no exemptions for blindness. Is I'm the only blind land speed racer in the world that's ever raced with no human assistance. A friend of mine at Boeing Phantom Works built me a guidance system that gives me audible feedback so I know how to correct my steering and stay on course. And then... Um, I graduated the Louisiana Center for the Blind on March 31st of 15, three years to the day of the wreck. And then immediately I knew there was one more big goal I wanted for the title for the world's fastest blind man. Wow. And you achieved it because I know 10 years uh, to the exact date after the accident, uh, you, you accomplished your goal. You, you drove 211 miles an hour and as I understand it, you 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 had a custom Corvette built uh just for you and uh you achieved your goal and I'm very oh your phone cut out um yes yeah, so the Corvette I designed it and we built it here right. at my house it, you know are we good we're good yes Okay, so yeah. I designed it. We built it here at my house. You know, we financially, we didn't have the money to do this. You know, me and my fiance. Um, so it was, it was, you know, four years of struggling of trying to raise money, sponsors, the people donate their time to build the car. Um, and uh, it was a battle. But, you know, it, like I said, it, it, uh, it was a long process. So, in the fall of 19, I was approached by the producers of Jay Leno's Garage. They heard about my story and they wanted me to come on. And the last they could film for that season for, uh, was February of 2020. So once I had a securement from them that, you know, they were going to bring, you know, film an episode, I could go and approach and try to get some sponsors. And I did. And on that, the pass on Jalen's garage was my first ever full pass. And I went 153.8 miles per hour. And um, on the way home, you know, we were starting to hear the news of COVID. And just a few weeks later, you know, basically everything was shut down. That's right. And um, so 
you know, like all of us, you know, we were just hermits, you know, and I was working the shop on my pens and stuff, but, uh, you know, I didn't know what the future held for the Corvette. And luckily, um, in the end of 2020, President Riccobono of the NFB reached out to me and wanted to help support me and with Cruz Thomas to try to break the record in 2021 for the 10 year anniversary of the Blind Driver Challenge, where President Riccobono, you know, in the NFB, they, they built a, uh, a car that gives feedback so a blind person could drive it. And he drove it in 2011 at the Daytona Motor Speedway, you know, not fast. He, I think he went with about 30 miles an hour. He proved the concept that we could do it, you know. And, uh, oh, and so we were going to try to do it in the fall of 21. And then the Delta, you know, variant ramped up and we had to postpone it. Right. And so originally we weren't going to try to, you know, we, we didn't have any intention on trying to do it to the 10 year date of my wreck, but, um, so we knew we had to get, roll it back to the spring of 2022. We studied the weather patterns for Spaceport, New Mexico. January, February is basically out of the question because of snow and cold. And um, the Spaceport told us that we could only rent it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays because we were there for three days. And um, just by chance, the last day felt on Mar fell on March 31st you know exactly 10 years of the date and we struggled all day tuesday and wednesday with uh 50 miles per hour side winds on tuesday and 40 on wednesday and so it didn't allow me to get into the race car and make any really good full passes because typically in land speed racing they shut down racing at roughly between 15 to 17 mile an hour winds depending on the direction and um i was out in the practice corvette um making 110, 115 miles per hour passes with a 50 mile per hour side wind. And I could maintain a 10 foot wide path for over a mile. Um, but on the last day, we had a lot of struggles and we overcame and it was, we were running out of time. So I think at roughly 3.30 was my first pass of, uh, for the Guinness record, I went 2.10. And for the Guinness record, you have to make two passes within one hour opposite directions. So if the wind helps you one way, it'll hurt you the other way and it averages out. So my return run was 212. So the average, the official Guinness record is 211.043 miles per hour. And because of your hard work and dedication, you achieved this. And I guess even though you wanted to do it in 2011, 10 years after Mark Riccobono uh, drove, you know, it worked out for the best. I mean, yeah. like you said, it wasn't intentional for you to do to do it on the 10th anniversary, but, you know, it, it worked out because you, you know, 10 years prior, tragedy struck. 10 years later, triumph. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because people have seen the wreck. No one should have lived through what I lived through. Um, you know, the, there was nothing forward of my feet. There was no engine or transmission or the dash bar or the steering column or anything when I came to a wreck. And um, there's a picture on a SIM card. We're going to try to retrieve the SIM card got cracked. But 
my face is so swollen in the hospital they couldn't even see where i had eyes it was just black and blue and wow you know um it just shows the extreme of the the trauma that my head went through you know um you know we hear of fighter pilots you know seven eight nine g's of uh maneuvers you know after about nine g's they start blacking out it, but in auto racing there have been people have wrecks not as severe as mine and their data acquisition shows over 50 g's of force to the body my car the battery was at the very front of the car so as soon as it hit the wall you know it shut off the power so our data acquisition system didn't get any of the, the wreck but it would not be uncommon for like i said i think 50 g's would be a, a conservative estimate of how much trauma my body went through and so what you're saying is other people who've had accidents less severe, they they couldn't have even survived it. And the fact that you survived and you're still here is incredible. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's an absolute miracle because um, my car owner, the guy that owned the car, Bill George, you know, we always went above and beyond for safety. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have survived, you know. We had these head pieces beside my helmet to soften the impact. You know, if your head's bounced around and I had a what's called a poured seat. So the seat, um, the liquid, you sit in your racing position and they pour this liquid down around your body and it forms to your body. And so it it is trying to do everything it could to uh, you know, support it. And if it went for just above beyond steps that we as a team took there's no way i would have lived you know uh, wow. um they i know the crew when they first came on the scene they just thought sure i was dead there's no way that uh and wow and so like how long were you in the hospital like how how many surgeries did you have to survive so i was a hospital a total of a month the first two weeks i was in an induced coma um they had to rebuild this right arm um I have a titanium rod between my shoulder and my elbow. I still have three plates and 14 screws in my elbow. Um, I have one titanium rod in my thumb. I had one in my wrist. The, all the nerves are messed up in my right arm and the muscles, you know, uh, their arm was stuck straight for six months on purpose to allow the bone to heal around the elbow. Then they had to go back, open it up, and reshape the elbow just to allow it to bend. I had to do months and months of elbow therapy, hand therapy, back therapy. Um, you know, it, it, it was a long process. You know, but I was in, I was UAB for a total of a month the first time. And yeah, in doing this, of course, you know, you had a girlfriend at the time who's now your wife. Uh, I, I, I listened to videos where you told your girlfriend leave I'm too yeah. much of a burden for you. I, you know, I, I'm done. I can't, you know, I don't want you to have to live with me. You told her to go. And she said, no, I mean, she, she stood by your side and mm. I saw that you were on Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey. <laughs> he, he, he's a client. Oh yeah. And, I love him. <laughs> um, of course, I don't have this device. I, I have something, uh, you know, it's a newer product. I have the Envision glasses. I'm sure you're familiar mm -hmm. with those. Yep. Uh, but you proposed to your girlfriend on the Steve Harvey show 
with the <laughs> cam. How cool was that? Oh yeah, he 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 was cool. And Steve, he's a fool, you know just a, a a great person in person. He's just a fool, you know, acting up off camera as he is on camera. And uh, he was really cool. And it was a great opportunity to you know, represent the Orcam. And and uh, when they first came to me and asked me, would I be interested in going on the show? I said, yeah. I said, but I think I, I got something that had a little spice to it because I've been thinking about proposing to Jennifer and uh, she had no idea. <laughs> she said yes. I mean, yeah, she, she, oh, the part of the, part of the thing they had to cut out is as soon as I got down on my knees, she goes, yes, yes, yes. And I said, ding dong, I got to ask the question first. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, it, it was good. We did, so she had to come home and keep it quiet for two weeks. We, we, she didn't tell her mama, her sisters. We told absolutely no one. She didn't wear her engagement ring for two weeks nothing until the day the show came out everybody found out the same way you know uh it was it was cool and yes like i said i was in the hospital when i first they first brought me out of the coma i found out i was blind I, jennifer had just been living with me about three months and she moved down from birmingham i told her i said, just go to my house get whatever you want move back to birmingham and forget about me i said you know um my exact words were hers. I ruined my life. Don't ruin yours by trying to do the right thing by me. And uh, luckily, she's hard headed and she she stuck with me. And uh, yeah. um, and so it's just me and her and the two dogs and a cat. And you know, like anybody else, we have highs and lows. And she's been there through me through all of them. You know, and supportive of my racing, my motorcycle, and you know, she comes from a little bit of racing background she worked for a pro stock motorcycle team so she knows the risk and uh but she also knew that i had a, a heavy uh battle of depression and if this would give me a purpose that it would you know help me survive and, that, and that's exactly what it did the motorcycle gave me a purpose and i think all of us need that we all have a passion we do and within us and we have a and, and we have if we have a purpose with passion and perseverance anything is possible and that's so important to us that, you know, especially this, you know, quote unquote disabled, you know, some of our struggles are a lot worse than others, but, you know, like I said, a passion, I mean, and a purpose gets out of the bed every day, gives us, gets our mind right. thinking, gets us, you know, on the internet, gets us socializing, gets us networking, that, and that, that's strong, that, that's some of the best medicine. It sure is. It sure is. And when did you propose on Steve Harvey? What year was that? 19. Yep. Nineteen Before COVID. Yep. Wow. Wow. Yep. And, yeah. It was February and, of 19. Yep. And by the way, if you have, if you still have contact with Steve Harvey, uh, please, if, uh, please uh, tell him about us because we would love oh, to yeah. have him as a guest on our show. Cause I know he's overcome uh, challenges himself and he's, he's Absolutely. cool. So, yeah, I love them. Please send them my way, you know. Yeah, it's on a I don't have, yeah, I don't have any way to contact them because they shut down the the Steve Harvey show. And so the, the lady, the producer that I had to contact, you know, no the email doesn't work anymore. And, you know, so they're no longer there. So I really don't have any way to contact them because I've tried to um, 
share with them the story of the Corvette as it progressed and, and just couldn't find a way to get to them. You know, people yeah. like that have handlers, you know, so they, you know, I, I call them gatekeepers because yeah, they, they, you know, they, they, understand, they block what they want to block, let what, through what they want to get, get through. And, and it's tough. It is. Yeah. There's another person I think we should interview. Um, he went through a lot. Uh, his talk show host, Mark Levin. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Well, he was an attorney for Ed Meese. He was, uh, he worked in the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know who he is, but I didn't know what kind of, you know, challenges he's been through. And he, he's had a heart attack. A couple oh, wow. Times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we should interview him. And yeah. he's, yeah. On, he's still on the air. So, but yeah, but uh, of course, back to you. But uh, so uh, to be clear, you drive a motorcycle independently with auditory and, hap- and haptic feedback, right? Yes, all auditory because the haptic feedback won't work because my right hand, all the nerves are crossed up. When I squeeze my thumb, my index finger stings and feels like it's expanding. But And so my motorcycle I designed is a three-wheel motorcycle. When I went to the racing organization, they told me they wouldn't even consider letting me race unless I made it a three-wheeler to take balance out of the equation. I said, okay, it's your football field. We're going to play by your rules. And um, it's a 70cc, so it's nothing super fast. My official record at Bonneville is 62.05 miles per hour. Yeah. So you just drive on the racetrack, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, both the Corvette and the motorcycle is for straight line racing only. You know, uh, no turns. Doesn't have any, no turns, no obstacle avoidance. But yes, but it, just it, trying to go as fast as possible. Because that's why we still can't drive today, you know, which hopefully we can eventually. And technology is yeah. here. It just needs oh, to be approved, man. you know. We, we will. My, my next project that I want to get involved with will be a semi-autonomous bicycle. So it'll be, a, again, a three-wheel bicycle um, or maybe even four wheels. They have a what's called a Velomobile. They're very popular in Europe. So imagine a three-wheel vehicle that actually has a little shell around it and little, and little doors and you get in it. So, cause over in Europe, you know, there's so much rain and all. So you're out of the elements, you pedal. Well, the computer would do you know calculate your path and provide the the navigation the obstacle avoidance and the steering and you provide the pedaling and so it's a whole lot easier to try to have the algorithms and the sensors and everything it does to you know to maintain a five to ten miles per hour pace than a 75 miles per hour pace you know the difficulties um so that's one of the next projects that that Patrick and I, the engineer that built the guide system, are very uh, committed to try to work on in the next few years, because I think that's I think that's going to be for the blind. That's going to be our next realistic step for transportation. You know, companies like Cruise are doing great things for the autonomous world. You know, and, oh, yeah. and they're grow- they're growing, but right now they're basically based in San Francisco. You know, and as the government has to allow the steps for them to be legal in the streets and to come further out to the, the country, you know, imagine if you had a, a, a Velomobile with a computer on it that programmed a two-mile radius of your house. So just think, you know, I don't know where you live or anything about your neighborhood, but just think, even if you just provide, if a program a path 
for exercise in your neighborhood. You know, that you could just make them want, like my neighborhood here. I could program a loop around my, you know, a few blocks here in my neighborhood and get one mile past. So, you know, if I did that four, five, 10 times a day, the exercise would be just great, getting out fresh air. But then I have a Chick-fil-A less than two miles away. I have a Walmart neighborhood center a few miles away. You know, so if we had those options, the freedom for us is, you know, just enormous, you know, and so that's, that's my goal. Wow. You're, you're going to change the world and you're going to make lives easier for us because, um, uh, by the way, I tried to meet you at the convention in New Orleans. I, I, I attempted to go see a Corvette. I, right after a general session got out, but it the wasn't Corvette there. Wasn't there. It was, yeah, we, we were trying to take it there. And New Orleans, you know, downtown area is so uh, congested, narrow streets. Um, my trailer that I had was 40 feet long. So the rig was about 60 feet long. Just to get that size truck and trailer to the hotel, required us having a police escort there was nowhere to park it at the hotel so it was just so our goal is to take it to houston this next year for the national convention because then we can take it and display it and everything and so that that's our goal that's awesome because yeah actually i live in houston uh, just outside of houston yeah. and the, we're, uh, we're hosting a convention yeah. next year so yeah definitely i i hope to see you there it's gonna be it's gonna be Awesome. It's going to be wonderful. And um, also, I'm sure, of course, you heard um, you heard Michelle I'm trying to think what her last name is. I have it in my contacts, but Michelle from Waymo uh, mm-hmm. in San Francisco, she spoke about autonomous vehicles, um, how uh, the, those vehicles are going to basically be almost like an Uber. Uh, as to where yep. you don't you don't necessarily buy the vehicle, but instead you request it on the Waymo app and order it, and it comes mm-hmm. to you. you know, and it drives itself. It's uh, there, I believe, in Phoenix and San Francisco, right? I correct. I think so. I think you're really close. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, hopefully we get to see those as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, because. Uh, I mean, you see, I only live out uh, in the Woodlands, which is uh, north of Houston. The only reason I live here is because there's Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. because there's no city bus or paratransit. The metro Houston doesn't go all the way out here because, of course, it's, it's we're not yeah. in city limits. Um, but if it, if it wasn't for Uber... I wouldn't be able to live in this area, but with with new developments in regard to autonomous vehicles, it's going to make life even better for us. It is, and it's coming. I think the pace is definitely slower than what we want, you know, because you know. But that's you know that's that's life, that's reality. But you know, how old are you, sailor? I'm at twenty nine. Entirely. Yeah, I'm 31. I'm old enough to be both of y'all's father. (laughs) You know, know, in my lifetime, 
what will be happening will be far less than what will be in y'all's lifetime, you know? And so that's, um, you know, in 30 years, what, as we know, transportation today will be totally different, you know, um, than, you know, how it is today, but yet the opportunities. And like I said, I I think me and President Riccobono and Patrick have been talking about this bicycle project for years because in my mind, I think that's a, a, a realistic way for a blind person to have independent transportation. You know, obviously oh, yes. the Uber lives, the Waymos, the, the cruises are are great, but to truly, you know, own your vehicle anytime you want, you know, and like I said, exercise is so much of it, you know, you know, me, I don't exercise near enough what I should. And that gives that opens up the possibility so much more. Exactly. Yes, yes. Because you're right, transportation is only forever evolving. Like in uh and I mean, I'm sure, you know, there were airplanes um and cars, uh, you know, in your younger years, of course. Uh, but you know, even before planes, before that, we didn't have any of that. Heck, I mean, yeah. people commuted on horseback on wagons yeah. and it took days to get to their destination and and look at what we have now it's only gonna evolve and gosh who knows there may be a blind pilot that may fly a plane yeah. you never know you never know yeah yeah it, yeah so it, it's wonderful great so um you're just to clarify so the corvette that you drove on march 31st uh, you did have a sighted uh, passenger in the vehicle with you just in case, right? That's right. So when I designed the car up front, I designed it to have two steering wheels. So while I was testing, if we, you know, because we're, you know, I'm testing technologies that's never been done before. And so we didn't have the money or I didn't have the money to go to engineering firm and say, this is what I want. And once it's all hundred percent sorted out, bring me the car and I'm going to jump in it and drive it. I'm the one at the local drag strip testing and you know, the, the dangers are, are real. So I had it designed. So pasture could be with me. Well, insurance required, you know, that's, that's one of the only ways we got this signed off to do what we did is to have it a passenger in the car that, that like so the steering wheel well the, the guinness officials we went to them and that's normally not the protocol but they said wait you know to do this we'll allow the passenger because it's not helping you if anything it's hurting me because that's an extra 200 pounds i'm toting but we had to provide gopro footage that the pastor did not have his hands on the steering wheel he didn't do anything to help me he doesn't have any other controls on his side of the car and he was there for just sole purposes or an emergency situation. And so as soon as I brought the car to the stop on the second pass, Jason, my co-pilot, you know, was getting out. We're celebrating. I ain't even got a car yet. Poor Jason didn't even get to celebrate with us on top end because the Guinness official pulled up in the car and they he had to basically witness Jason taking the SIM cards of the GoPro hand them to the Guinness official. They had to 
drive them straight to the trailer, put them in the laptop and, you know, uh, go over them, review them to make sure, you know, he didn't help me. And th that's the only way that we got the records certified on the spot was because he was able to do that. And, um, you know, in today's lawsuit world, that's just part of it. You know, I wanted there for safety. You know, I've done been through enough with racing accidents, so I didn't care to have any more trips to the hospital. Oh, but on the same you. token, you know, um, I like to do it independently, but, and one day I will. But that's, that's again, it's their football field. We had to play by the rules, and this was a long process with, you know, me and the team at NFB putting all this together and spaceport and all the legalities and the insurance. And, you know, it, this was months and months and months of blind people working together to coordinate this, to make this happen. And, uh, it, it, uh, it all worked out at the end at the last few you know hours, but it, it, it was a struggle, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure you went through like hell sign you know getting all the paperwork right you you argue with attorneys insurance companies they yep. they told you no 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 you can't do this but you, despite this you didn't you held your yeah, ground we, yeah well the legal team nfb is one you know um stacy person and anil lewis and Stephanie Castoni, they were the main people working on the, this the whole time. And, but there was a lot of back and forth, you know, because originally in 2021, when we were going to attempt the record, Steve Strutt from the East Coast Times Association was going to be my pastor. He was a pastor for the Jane Leno deal. And we were going to race under his insurance and sanctioned body. Well, August of 21, Steve got Delta. And he was in the hospital for, I think, 10 weeks, like eight weeks okay. on the vent. And he, he, as a miracle, survived. So during that time, we said, well, we got we to gotta regroup. We got to get a plan B. So we went to Tim Kelly from the Loring Time Association in Maine. And he came on board, less race under his sanctioned body, his insurance. Of course, luckily, Jason White, my co-pilot, raced at Loring and has the, his he's got the world's fastest C6 Corvette at 269 miles an hour so he's he's you know he's a land speed racer and Tim respects him and he knew that Jason wasn't going to let me you know do anything unsafe or the anything on the safe of the car so he trusts Jason so that brought a lot of confidence to the team and then Jason allowed us to race under his sanctioned body so it, it was and then the people at Spaceport were just great to work with I can't thank Alice and um, um, man, my mind just went blank. <laughs> uh, Chris Lopez, director of operations, enough. It was so mean, touching. You know, at noon on the last day, I hadn't even cracked 200 miles an hour yet. And I knew, you know, our lease was up at five o'clock. And I went to Alice and I said, Alice, I said, obviously we're struggling. I ain't got but five hours left on my contract. Do I have any options? And she told me, she said, uh, I get emotional just thinking about it. She said, you just keep fighting and I'll worry about this. I said, okay. You know, and uh, the, the next pass, I went 205. 
I felt a few things in the car that need to be adjusted. We brought back to the pits, jacked it up, made some adjustments on some calls for some shots. That you know, I, I made the decision. The next pass was two ten, and the next pass was two twelve. History was made. Okay, so it took you basically all day to uh, to accomplish. Well, we had been there. We had been there for three days. We rolled in on Monday. The team went over to Carl Munt all Monday, Tuesday. We were fighting issues with the car, but I had the practice cor Corvette there. And so I, me and Patrick would go out with the practice car, practice 30, 45 minutes at a time. The team was working on the car, but the winds and the sandstorms were just so bad that we couldn't get the race car. We didn't get the race car out on the track till Wednesday. So I made a half mile pass. I think I went 158 to the half. The next pass was about a three-quarter mile pass. I went like 176 to the three-quarter. I think I made a one-mile pass, about 187. And we were still struggling with some uh, issues with the car. And Jason, on the last morning, um, I woke up about 1.30 in the morning. I knew – so a, tor a torque converter is a device between the motor transmission that allows the motor to – idle it, so it's, it's slipping when you're idling but you want it super tight so you can run as fast as mile of power as possible well it's my fault 100 i spec it too tight so when you drop it in gear it was not allowing the car to idle it was shutting the motor off so we were fighting that the whole time so i told myself the last morning that we need to build a push bar so if i couldn't get it to leave I would have another vehicle push me up about 10 or 20 miles an hour. I'd drop it gear and go. And I knew all, I have what's called a jump box in the trailer. I knew what I had in the jump box. So we, the team, we made at five o'clock, went straight to spaceport. As the sun was rising, we, the team was welding and we built a push bar by design. And luckily we didn't have to use it. And so I told the team, I'm sorry, my guys here cutting the grass. But I told the team, if, we have to push us with a practice car and uh, we'll get up speed. Next, week. you're going to tear the front bumper up on that Corvette, the practice car. It's a 1994. Believe me, it's nothing special. I said, listen, if we have to sacrifice that front bumper for this against world record, that's just part of the game. That, that's We'll deal with that. They make another one. That wasn't the last front bumper for a 94 Corvette they made. But luckily, we didn't have to use it. But we, we were prepared. Wow. That's. That's incredible. That's an amazing accomplishment of you achieving your goal. And um, also the car, uh, is it electric or is it gas? Oh, no, it's gas. So it has a 440 cubic inch gas motor. Um, the motor makes 800 horsepower before the nitrous oxide is activated and has a three-speed transmission. So it can make a thousand horsepower if I need it to, and in the mile and a half, if I need it to a little bit more practice, I could probably run between 225 and 230 at the bottom of the salt flats with a five-mile course. I could run over 250 easily with it. And it's just two just two doors, right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. It's two-door sports car. Yep. Wow, wow. And so, um, so, yeah, as I understand it, you are, dri you are driving this car on your own. The passenger is only there 
for emergencies. He That's is fine. not touching anything whatsoever. He's not touching nothing. He, he ain't doing anything. He He's there, you know, 200 feet before the finish line, the computer calls out parachute. I have a what's called a paddle shifter, my left pinky. I pull the paddle shifter and that, de you know, deploys the parachute. Once I feel it blossom and tug, then I, I let off the gas and start applying the brakes to bring it to a stop. Yeah, he, he's not doing anything. And it's all, all audible feedback. It's all audible wow. feedback. Yeah. Wow. So the, how... the computer calls out parachute. I pull the parachute. And then two or 300 feet later is the finish line. It calls out finish. Then I know that's when it's time to start I mean, bringing it to a stop. I mean, in my mind, I don't know how you react so quickly if a car is just going so, so, so fast. You know, it's just crazy. I mean, yeah. just wow. to give you a perspective, at 200 miles an hour, you're going a football field per second. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's faster right. than the average car yeah. on a highway. Way, way faster. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's way, way faster, and it's just incredible. You can still, you can still do that. And of course, before that, before you had the accident, were you like in the car yourself, or was there still a passenger there for the emergency? Oh no, I raced completely by myself. You know, when I raced before. You know, uh, I was a semi-professional. I've won I'm a world champion drag racer. And um, the car that I drove before makes made over 2,500 horsepower. And so I've been over 220 miles an hour in just a quarter of a mile in that car. And so, uh, you know, racing's all I've ever done. But now passengers are not, normally not allowed in pretty much any form of motorsports. Yeah, and you're still still doing it. Now, um. Do you hope to go to the F1, the Formula One, as a blind race car driver one day? No, I, I know the you know realistic limitations of where technology is right now is is straight line, you know, top speed events, and that's fine. You know, my main my next main purpose that I really want to concentrate my efforts on is I want to become an inspirational speaker. And I want to work on the bicycle project for the blind. That that's you know two things. That's my next focus. Yeah, motivational speaking is the way to go because you've overcome uh, so much from uh, tragedy to almost losing your life to triumph, and that's what other people need in this world. They they need to rise up. You know, knowing that. Despite their circumstances, it's it's not the end of the world, uh, yeah. and of course that that leads me, you know, to my uh, pretty much last question. And of course, Tyler, if you have any questions, you can ask him. Um, other than yeah. your other than your bicycle project and you becoming a motivational speaker, what are do you, do you have any other future goals that you hope to accomplish after? after getting the Guinness world record of driving? Those are the two main things. I, and then, of course, I work out in my shop every day. I, I'm a machinist. My website is theblindmachinist.com, and I hand machine custom aluminum ink pens. And, um, and I presented one to the COO of Sam's Club I spoke a few weeks ago. So that, that keeps me busy. And um, I have some adaptive technology in the shop that allows me to you know, be a machinist and very accurately machine parts and, 
you know, that's enough on my plate for right now. If I can, between the machine shop work, motivational speaking, the bicycle project, that's, that's uh, more and, than enough. And, and even though you have damage to like your nerves and your hands, you can still be a machinist. Oh, yeah. obviously. I mean, how do you do that if you, because you, your hands don't fully work, right? They, they work. It, it's painful to make a fist, but the nerves are crossed up. You know, when people see me work or, you know, in daily activities, they don't realize how much damage this right arm has, but it is what it is. You know, um, I have some adaptive equipment in the shop. I have a top box, it's my calipers that speaks out measurements and some of the other adaptive techniques I've learned or developed and it allows me to operate my machine shop equipment safely. And that's typically why I'm a lot of times out the shop working on something out there. Wow. And you, and you live in Columbus, Georgia, right? Correct, correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, near Fort Benning. That's right. Yep. Yeah, yep. well, awesome, awesome. So, uh, um, well, of course, that's, uh, you know, as you as a guest, I want to make sure, do you have anything else to share? Because, you know, if not, you know, let's wrap up. And, of course, uh, uh, Tyler, you know, you have a floor if you have any questions for a guest as well. So, First, uh, uh, Dan, do you have anything else? No, I'm good. I appreciate right. the invite and I, and I appreciate the message you're trying to convey to people. Um, Absolutely. Well, I need mean, a little positivity. Anything you got, Tyler? I, I just think the story is really inspiring. Really, it really is like blind people can actually drive. And my sister-in-law, she's not really convinced because it's like, how can you drive if you're blind? And <laughs> what about technology malfunctioning? All yeah. this stuff, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, people, you know, society, nothing, you know, against her, but people that's never been exposed to no, it, they just don't understand right. it. You know, they, and, and that's our job is, you know, to help define blindness, not let the blindness define us. And that's what we're all doing every day, is, exactly. you know, working hard to define blindness. That's right, because blindness doesn't define you. It's the misconception, the misconceptions yep. that people have and the negative attitudes. Yep, that's it. And well, awesome. So um, uh, on a, at the end of every episode, I like, I, I really ask my guests to just leave a message to our listeners. What advice do you have for anybody that's struggling with hope out there, what, well, what's a what's a what's a what's a message that you can leave? On, on every one of my pens, I sell they come in my wooden boxes or my bases for my made American pens with my life quote. And I'll leave it with this: You can make excuses or make it happen. That's right. Oh yeah, don't so, make no excuses. Make stuff yeah. happen because you only got one life and live it to the full. That's, that's right. it. Okay. Awesome. Fellas, I appreciate then, it. Well, go ahead. Dan, uh, go ahead. Um, how did you, uh, Sailor was telling me that you once were uh, suicidal. How did you overcome that? Like after your blindness, you yeah, didn't, it, didn't feel uh, worth living. Like you felt like, hey, life was not worth living. Well, about, you know, we've all, we, I don't know if any of y'all watched the movie Field of Dreams, but I had a real life Field of Dreams moment. Um, about six months after my wreck, 
I went to bed one night thinking about my brother who passed away in 09 and my mother who passed away just six months before my wreck. And my brother always told me a story about four guys from France that built a 50cc motorcycle and they designed it where they could take it apart, put it in their luggage. They did, they flew to the United States, rented a car, went to Bonneville, put it together and they each got a record. And so that night, I went to bed thinking about them. I woke up about two o'clock in the morning from the most vivid dream that I would build a motorcycle and be the first blind man to race Bonneville. I never yeah. went back to sleep wow. that night. And when Jennifer woke up about eight o'clock, I told her, she said, okay. So that dream gave me my purpose and the purpose took away the suicidal thoughts, you know, and, the, okay. and, uh, and that's the reason I'm so passionate. We all need a, a purpose you know, go with, whether you want to be a, a writer, a painter, or run a triathlon, whatever it is. You know, we all have to run, drive race cars at 200 miles an hour. That whatever your passion is, turn it into your purpose, and that it'll get you through life. Yes, right. because where there's a will, there's a way. That's yeah. right. All right. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, Dan, thanks so much for right. being on this podcast. I appreciate you. Okay. Y'all take okay. care. You too. All right. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hope Without Sight with Sailor Cooper and Tyler Evans and got a lot of takeaways from this podcast. We hope you feel renewed, inspired, and encouraged like you can just carry on and conquer the world. Please hit the subscribe button on all platforms and tell your friends and family to do the same. And in the meantime, blessings to all.